Welcome to the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. It's time for you. A podcast produced for the sheep industry by Sheep Connect New South Wales. Hi, I'm Fiona MacArthur, a network coordinator for Sheep Connect New South Wales. The Sheep Extension Network in New South Wales, which is funded by Australian Wool Innovation. Sheep Connect New South Wales has a membership of over 2,200 and our main aim is to help keep you and your sheep business up to date on information about all things sheep. Improving pastures is one way of improving animal performance. The tough decision for most graziers is whether to undergo a full costly renovation or is it possible to manipulate what they already have. In this episode of It's Time For You, I'm joined by Dr Belinda Hackney to explore these ideas in more details. Belinda is a research officer with the Souls Unit in the New South Wales DPI and has over 20 years experience in farming systems research in mixed farming and permanent pasture regions. In the last 15 years, much of Belinda's research has focused on improving legume function in the pasture systems and in mixed farming systems, increasing nitrogen carryover for cropping systems. Belinda has also led research that has identified poor nodulation in pasture systems and factors impacting nodulation across central and southern New South Wales. Currently, Belinda is involved in a national project. Welcome, Belinda, and thank you for joining me on It's Time For You. Thanks, Fiona. Belinda, some graziers this year, when it comes to improving pastures, are going to be asking the big question whether they should renovate or manipulate. And you joined me in a webinar this week for Sheep Connect New South Wales, and we went into it in a lot of detail and We had a huge amount of information in it, but I'd like to explore some of the main ideas a bit further today. How about we start with manipulation? Um, Why would graziers wish to manipulate a pasture? Well, I guess the thing you have to, you have to weigh up in terms of deciding what you're going to do with pastures is cost a lot of the time. Um, And so, you know, it can be a very costly exercise to renovate a pasture and you know, very often there's opportunity to manipulate what you already have, um, and that is generally a much cheaper option. Um, of course, you have to have an understanding of, of what you've got there and whether you are actually able to manipulate it. So you have to have enough of the favourable species in the pasture, and you have to have some sort of difference that you can exploit between the favourable species and the less favourable things that you want to control. But ultimately, it can be a lot cheaper option. Um, you can still end up with a really productive pasture through some use of a number of different manipulation tactics. Um, and it can be a way to, uh, you know, particularly coming out of drought, I guess, it can be sometimes um, a case where you're faced with a lot of paddocks that are not performing as you want them to be performing. But to undertake renovation in all of them would be just horrendously expensive. So it's kind of a way, I guess, to look at kind of line your, line your paddocks up, prioritise them and figure out which ones you can manipulate and which ones you may have to go for for full renovation. So it's a way of spreading cost and spreading risk but still giving you a productive pasture. And Belinda, what are some of the ways that we can manipulate a pasture? So there's lots of different tactics that you can use. So there's obviously um, options with herbicides. So 
use of selective herbicides, use of herbicides in combination with grazing, um, use of grazing by itself uh, in terms of you know, um, strategically resting um, favourable species, uh, but making things more difficult for the things that you don't want to keep in there, um, use of fertiliser, uh, those kind of things. So, you know, there's a lot of different tactics that you can use um, to, you know, to to favour the species that you want to keep in there um, and make it more difficult for the ones that you don't. Generally, you're going to going to be looking at using a combination of those sort of tactics. So herbicides, grazing, fertilisers are probably some of the main things that you look at, along with perhaps some strategic introduction um, in a non-destructive way of perhaps um, favourable species to just boost the the population of those there. So perhaps drilling in um, more seed of some of the more favourable things. So they're the kind of tactics that you can look at. And we'll look into them just a little bit, in a little bit more depth in a moment, but does the density of the sward or the species that are present, will that have an effect on which option you choose? Yeah, it will. So you've got to really have a good understanding of, of how your favourable species may increase in density or what tactics you know i guess it's yeah how successful they can or how successfully they can be manipulated so for example if we look at a perennial grass-based pasture say like we'll start for example with phalaris based pasture if you have that kind of pasture um, and the phalaris density is too low and that's something that you want to increase and you've got to remember that something like Phalaris, the increasing density comes from an increase in plant size, not necessarily an increase in plant number because it doesn't actually recruit that well from seed that it produces in the paddock. And a lot of that is a function of um, theft of seed by ants uh, and those sorts of things. Now, the reverse is true for a coxfoot-based pasture. It seeds prolifically, the seed's more protected from ant theft and it recruits very strongly. So the strategies that you use is in some ways still the same because you're still wanting to rest them at the time that allows for phalaris and increase in size of the plant, which happens through the setting of dormant buds. Um, and for coxfoot, resting at a time when that um, pasture is recruiting. Now, the reverse can be true with those kind of pastures too, in that you can have too much grass in those that doesn't allow the legumes through. So the tactic then just becomes the reverse. You, you, um, you kind of, I guess, uh, attack those when they're at their most vulnerable. So you would be looking at, um, you know, preventing an increase in size of phalaris plants or reducing the opportunity for coxfoot to set seed and, and to recruit if if what you wanted to do was reduce the density. So it's a, either a case of when you want to increase the density of those, then you're looking at um, allowing opportunity for seeding and recruitment um, and if you want to decrease the density of those, then you hit them hard at those points when they're vulnerable. Melinda, we mentioned grazing before as one of the options we have to manipulate pasture, and certainly that's a little bit more difficult maybe this year with the reduced numbers of stock we're carrying coming out of the drought. But how effective is the use of grazing? Well, it can be very effective and, and really it centres around that kind of thing that I've just spoken about with the Phalaris and Coxwood in terms of um, 
you know, for example, we're in autumn now and if you've had um, a good spring last year and you've got a heavy overburden of feed, then probably what your greatest issue you're looking at at the moment is opportunity for annual legumes to regenerate in those swards. So and you're not, you're not ever going to be able to do every paddock in every year, but what you can strategically do is some paddocks each year. So, you know, you'd be looking at opening that sward up, allowing some light in, um, there's three requirements for any plant. It's light, space and moisture. Um, and so for, you know, in improving legume density in those type of pastures where you may have a big overburden of um, standing dead material or litter on the ground, then strategically grazing those quite heavily in early autumn to open those up can create a lot of opportunity for legumes to come through. And you know, you're never going to have enough stock to do that in all paddocks in all years, but you can do it in some paddocks in each year. And you said that um, you can use some of these options to manipulate together. And so my thought then is what's the role that herbicide could play with your grazing even to help manipulate your densities? Yeah, so a number of different options. So I guess, you know, one thing a lot of people would be familiar with would be spray grazing where you use a sub-lethal dose of a broadleaf herbicide seven to ten days in front of grazing to um, basically increase the palatability of, of broadleaf weeds that you're wanting to get rid of um, and increase their accessibility because often they're a very low-growing, ground-hugging rosette um, and so that's an opportunity in terms of using um, herbicides and grazing together. Um, you know, coming out of a drought, you know, it, it's, it may be hard to do that because you're relying on very heavy stocking rates post-spraying um, to control those weeds. Uh, so, you know, stock numbers can be a problem. But in terms of, you know, more day-to-day -day type of tactics, I guess one of the things that we may be looking at this year um, with a reasonable start to the season in most areas is that you just tend to have, um, particularly for, for broadleaf weeds, uh, actually getting herbicides on the weeds can be a problem when you've got a, a thick canopy there. So grazing ahead of just the, the standard use of a selective spray um, can be a way to open the canopy up so that you actually get um, herbicide penetration of that canopy and you get herbicides onto the target weed. Um, and also just in terms of, you know, if you're using other herbicide options like weed wipers and things like that, um, then that relies on exploiting a height difference and often a palatability difference between the favourable and the unfavourable species. So grazing ahead of, of using that can take your favourable species below the level of where that wipe is going to be having um, action on the unfavourable species. So there's lots of ways you can integrate grazing into how you may use herbicides. And do individual species respond differently to manipulation with herbicides? Yeah, they can do. Well, it's a, it's a case of um, timing a lot of the time too. So it's, it's not just the herbicide itself, but it's the timing that um, it's applied. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it depends very much on what that spectrum is in terms of what what is your favourable species or number of species that you have and what is the target weed in terms of what the response is that you'll get from use of herbicides. And um, is there a role for using non-selective herbicides selectively during the manipulation phase? 
Yeah, so you can, there is that option. So I just spoke about weed wipers, which are basically that type of, um, you know, non-selective or selective use of, of non-selective herbicides. And so there's, you know, there's been quite a change in, in um, weed wiper technology over the years. And, you know, once it, in the early days, they were quite plagued by um dripping or or not maintaining constant moisture on the on the wiping pads and those sorts of things but the technology's improved quite a bit with particularly with some of them that are now available and so they're something that can be um you know can be employed and can be useful they're not a panacea they're not the silver bullet but they're just another tool in the toolkit that you can consider with some of the taller growing less palatable um weed species that you may encounter but you've got to remember it's it's yeah it's it's knowing what your target is with all weed control um you're far better to get them early in the season so weed wipers are going to come in later in the season generally in terms of use um you'll always tend to get more effective weed control when you when you're targeting the weeds and they're little so weed wipers are a useful tool but they are just one of the tools that are available and we spoke just briefly touched on it above that one of the other options was to introduce other species into your already established pasture. How much of a viable option is this? Well, it depends very much on um, the type of pasture that you're going into, um, how actively it's growing, what the moisture availability is and what your decision is in terms of how you're going to um, introduce whatever it is that you're trying to introduce. So, you know, a lot of the time um, people's go-to strategy for um, trying to introduce something into an already existing pasture is just to spread it when they spread their fertiliser, so spreading it on the on the soil surface. And that's a very inefficient way to um, attempt to introduce something into an already existing pasture because um, you have very poor seed soil contact. Um, the seeds very exposed to, to predation um, by ants particularly, um, but also by other um, little critters that are crawling around um, in and on the soil surface. Uh, and it also is, it's really difficult for that plant to um, initiate germination and get its roots into the soil and chase that moisture front down if it's just applied to the surface. So you get far better results if you can in some way, um, you know, drill those and it doesn't have to, we're not talking deep, it's just some sort of seed soil contact uh, within, um, you know, that introduction phase. And this is where grazing can be really important too, just to reduce that amount of bulk um, on the existing pasture that's already there ahead of going in and, and introducing these things. But, yeah, um, surface broadcasting is, yeah, a very inefficient way to do it. Um, you're looking at well south of 5% in terms of um, seed established compared to seed sown with that kind of strategy. That's definitely very inefficient. Um, what we've spoken, you've touched quite a few times here on ants as being one of the contributors to loss of during establishment. What are some of the other factors that could be causing problems? Well, principally, it, it's yeah. The, the other big thing is really moisture and that seed soil contact. So. It's, it's a very difficult thing um, often to get uh, something else established 
particularly in amongst an, an already established perennial pasture. Um, and that's because, you know, you've got you've got an established plant there and the above ground biomass is one thing, but the below ground biomass is the other. So, um, you know, you can have a big rainfall event um, and you think there's plenty of moisture there, but those established perennials are, are extremely effective in harvesting that moisture. Um, and you've got to remember that um, you really need good moisture conditions for three to five days around the seed that you're introducing for it to even begin to germinate. Um, and then you've got to get, you know, root development of it um, and you've got to start to get those roots moving downwards. So, yeah, it's uh, moisture is, is a big thing in terms of getting those established. But, you know, if you also combine that with just spreading it on the surface and you're losing a lot of that seed to progation or, um, you know, the, the thing may germinate but not actually be able to get its roots into the ground, um, then they're big issues in terms of trying to um, establish pastures by, by just surface broadcasting or establish, you know, more favourable species in there. Thanks, Belinda. Next, I'd like to move on to renovation, which is obviously our more expensive option because for me here we're talking about establishing a whole new pasture from scratch. So one of the things we spoke about this week in the webinar was how important preparation is. So um, can you just take us through preparation? Yeah, so look, I think probably the, the thing to keep in mind is the biggest reason for establishment failure when you're sowing a new pasture um, are weeds. Uh, and it can be, you know, quite um, mind-boggling to think about what kind of weed seed bank that you have in in just sitting in a paddock. Now that's good, bad and and otherwise in terms of the the type of seeds that you can have in that seed bank. But all of them are going to um, create some sort of competition with the pasture that you sow. And, and the things that you know that are that are really concerning in that are the, the broadleaf weeds um, and annual grasses such as, you know, your volpias and, and those sorts of things. Um, and also in, in a lot of areas, ryegrass can be exceptionally competitive against slower establishing things like Polaris and Coxwood if there's a lot of ryegrass in the seed bank. So cleanup is really important um, and you want a minimum of two, um, but preferably three years uh, where you're not allowing anything in what's already in that paddock in terms of pasture, not allowing any of that to set seed prior to going in and um, and re-establishing a pasture. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have that paddock in fallow for those entire three years. You can still utilise it through the growing season, but make sure that you're um, spraying it out or spray topping it, doing something to stop um, seed set uh, and return of that seed to the seed bank. You can incorporate cropping into that too. So you're generating a cash crop or um, like a uh, cropping in terms of a forage crop, um, support livestock as a mechanism to clean it up. But you just want to make sure that you're not allowing seed set uh, at the end of the growing season. And just as importantly, that you're keeping it clean, um, you know, over that summer period. Uh, and those sorts of things. But you've got to be mindful too of the herbs, particularly in the in the 12 to 18 months leading up to sowing your new pasture, be very careful about the herbicides that you're using uh, in terms of them um, potentially, you know, being a, an, an issue in terms of residues that may affect the establishment of your new pastures. 
You mentioned there, Belinda, that annuals and broadleafs are your main consideration. Are there different considerations to take within the different weed species on how you deal with them? Yeah, so the you know both within broadleaves and and within the grasses, you'll have um, species and often kind of biotypes within species that behave differently in terms of how long that seed um, lasts in the seed bank. So if we think about grass weeds, so I, I talked you know, previously more about um, annual grasses, and they they generally tend to have quite a short um, life in the seed bank now. I suppose one of the things you have to be mindful of if you're in a situation with ryegrass is um, the prevalence of, of herbicide resistance with it. Um, so you've got to make sure that whatever you're using to control it is going to be effective or otherwise it may be getting through and setting seed. The other thing to think about, you know, focused on annuals in what I've said already, but in higher rainfall areas, some of the perennial grass weeds will be um, quite an issue. So things like serrated tussock or Chilean needle grass um, or African love grass, and they have a, a you know, can, can have a considerably longer um, life in the seed bank, and some of those also, you know, spread very effectively over very long distances through wind. Um, and that kind of thing. So they they are something that, um, you know, you, you just have to be mindful of in terms of they may take longer to deplete in the seed bank. Um, I suppose the flip side of that too is, uh, you know, they, they, being perennials, they can be a little bit slower to establish in terms of um, their competitive ability compared to some of the annual weeds that you have. Um, and so there's opportunities there to help, you know, it doesn't negate the need for cleanup. You still want that, you know, with those, I would be saying your minimum is a three-year cleanup and the absolute minimum is three years with those. But when you get to the point that you're sowing your new pasture, a simple tactic to just help increase that um, capacity to, to have your pasture succeed is just increasing the seeding rate of what you're sowing. That'll provide extra competition against them. But absolutely critical that you get um, you know these things under control ahead of time because if you're looking at sowing a perennial grass-based pasture you have no herbicide options in the year that you establish that pasture to take grass weeds out of a perennial grass pasture in the establishment year so you have to have cleanup ahead of time. And typically, what would you expect the seed level to be like in your existing pasture? You've said there that it will take two to three years to get the seed bank down. So what sort of levels would we likely to see? Well, that can be, that can be um, you know, a, a very long piece of string, um, that question. Uh, but typically, you're probably looking anywhere between um, sort of 5,000 and, and 20,000 seeds sitting in the, in the seed bank um, and, you know, anywhere from 50 to 80% of those seeds being things that you don't necessarily want in there. Um, creating competition against what you're intending to sow. So depends very much on what the previous management has been um, and, you know, how persistent those seeds are in the seed bank. So it can be a really variable kind of thing. Thanks, Belinda. Um, moving on to planting out your pasture now, just briefly before we finish up, when choosing the different species you want to plant, what, what should you be considering and looking for in your planning process stages? 
I think one of the, the the key thing really is to think about what you um I guess you know we all we all have things that we want to grow but you want to make sure that what you want to grow matches up pretty well with what you should be growing in terms of and what you should be growing is determined by um the resources you have in terms of the climate the soil um the timing of rainfall incidents of heat stress and those sorts of things so it's it's really a case of matching up your, what you want to grow with what you should grow um moving on from that once you've selected potential candidates then you need to be thinking about what your forward management plans are and um you know things like um herbicides and those sorts of things because invariably you're probably going to have to have herbicide treatments at some point in that pasture's useful life. Um, and so as much as possible, you want to you want to create um, a pasture that's, you know, relatively easy to manage in terms of giving you um, as broad a spectrum as possible in terms of possible future weed control strategies. Um, so that's one of the angles. The other thing is, you know, all of the, none of the fundamentals go away either. You, you want to be looking at, um, what your soil conditions are in terms of soil fertility and making sure when you're sowing those pastures that you're addressing, you're either addressing those problems beforehand if it's a case of soil acidity or something like that. Um, so address that prior to putting the pasture in. Uh, and then you're wanting to look at, you know, ongoing maintenance of fertility to maximise opportunity for that pasture and give them the greatest competitive ability. And how important are legumes to incorporate into the component and um, what proportion would you recommend putting in? So legumes are in most of the extensive pastures that um, we deal with in the in the mixed farming area and in the permanent pasture area, they're, they're really the backbone of the pastures. So they're the thing that provide the nitrogen, providing that they nodulate well and they've got capacity to fix um, nitrogen. They're the thing that provides nitrogen to the rest of your pasture. And they're also the thing that um, basically act as a multiplier in terms of other nutrients that you apply to those pastures. So, you know, in terms of um, uh, responses to phosphorus and sulfur and those sorts of things on there, you get a, you get a certain response in your grasses um, to those for sure but they can only respond to those nutrients up to the level of nitrogen that's available to them. So if there's more nitrogen in there, it's like a, um, you know, it's an additive effect by having um, the legumes in there producing the nitrogen. The nitrogen can then be used by uh, the grasses or other non-legume components of the pasture that can then respond further to the phosphorus that you put on. So um, they're really important as a multiplier. Now, in terms of how much to sow, um, I suppose the thing to keep in mind with um, uh, with pastures is that they'll tend to run towards grass dominance over time, and that's regardless of whether you're you know you're intentionally sowing grasses in there, like you would in a permanent pasture zone, or whether you may be going for an annual an annual type um, legume pasture in the mixed farming zone. So grasses will come in over time, or grasses will increase in density over the time because of that feeder effect of the nitrogen that then favours the grasses. So basically, what you want to do is you want to set up a situation where you um, prolong inevitability. Um, so you build a big seed, you know, as big a seed bank as you can, of the 
of the legumes um, in that establishment year. So, you know, typically in a lot of pastures, you, you may see people only sowing two to four kilos of legumes um, in a pasture. Um, so I would very much encourage you, you know, you look back at the, at the old literature in some of these and some of the work that we're doing now with pastures and we're sowing them at, um, you know, eight to 10 kilos um, in, in the work that we're doing in some of the old historic data they were doing, um, you know, eight and 12 kilos of legumes. So I know there's a cost involved um, in increasing that sowing rate, but in terms of the overall cost of pasture renovation and increase of a few kilos of seed um, is, is not a huge cost in the overall scheme of things. And if, if it's the difference that makes a difference in terms of success of that pasture, then it's something well worth considering. And Belinda, just before we finish off, how many species would you recommend that you put in your renovated pasture that you're trying to get up and going? Is it better to keep it simple? Look, generally um, it, it is. Um, there's been a tendency for, you know, or a move in some cases to quite complex mixtures. And so you've, I guess the, you know, the, the, the thing you've got to look at in making those choices of whether you have simple mixes or complex mixtures is what is your capacity to manage those. So um, simple mixtures are often much easier to manage in terms of herbicides and in terms of timing your grazing so that, um, you know, it's it's simpler uh, as in, in, in terms of Resting those species when you should and grazing them when you should so that you know you optimise opportunity for those. And when you get into complex mixtures, it can be harder because there's often times when you've, you're grazing that pasture that you may be disadvantaging a number of the species that you've sown in there. Um, and same with herbicides, you know, the, there's, it's the more complexity you add into it, the more options you take away or the more that you might have to um, think when you've got a weed problem that, that crops up in those pastures is you have to, you may end up being fenced into a situation where you have to use something that may be quite damaging to a number of the species that are in there. And the other thing you need to think about too is um, I suppose short-term gains versus long-term goals. So um, sometimes in complex mixtures you've got differences in terms of early competitive ability during establishment. Um, and so you can have those kind of sprinter type species that um, are up and away very quickly, but they don't have particularly good long-term persistence. Um, and so they can look brilliant for the first you know, season or two or something like that, but they've actually disadvantaged up front the, the capacity of those slower establishing species to get, um, to actually get to get established and then you compromise the the longevity of your whole pasture stand. So that's just some things to think about um, in terms of, you know, how complex you make your mixtures. Um, and yeah, so just, yeah, think of, keep those things in mind, just the ease of management, the kind of longevity that you might get out of the pasture and make sure that you're not compromising um, long-term viability um, by having extremely complex mixtures. Thanks, Belinda. That was really interesting. Thanks for the information you've shared with our listeners and for joining me on It's Time For You. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of It's Time For You, the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. 
We'd appreciate it if you could share our podcast within your networks. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the AWI podcast, The Yarn. We'd love you to stay in contact with Sheep Connect New South Wales, and you can do this in a number of ways. Join our network by visiting www.sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com.au. Find us at Sheep Connect New South Wales on Facebook and Twitter. We look forward to seeing you at our workshops and events later in the year. Thanks again for joining us today. Bye for now.